0: Welcome to the show. Thank you for taking part in this immersive listening experience. A meaningful existence is a moving target that no matter how close will always be out of reach. We hope this message finds you with an outstretched hand. As we attempt to uncover complex truths, remember, life's toughest questions can be answered if we all just focus on one thing. Being good people. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Good People episode 21. Today, I will be doing a solo episode where I cover the top 19 things that I've learned from the first 20 episodes of Good People. Before we begin today's show, if you are listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please consider giving the show a rating. It really does help us out and we would be very grateful for you if you left one. Enjoy the show. I am going to jump right into our first point which is from Dr. Jenny Rozier, episode four of Good People. You don't learn to regulate on your own until you are 26 years old. So in the episode, we talked about attachment style, attachment theory. And one of the things that I learned from Dr. Jenny Rozier was that you don't fully learn how to regulate your emotions until you're 26 26 years old, which is kind of absolutely crazy to me that I have made so many impactful decisions already in my life and my brain's not even fully developed yet. I know that that's like a common fact of your brain's not fully developed you your 26 and that whole co-regulation regulate on your own, uh, is in line with that brain development. But like, I pretty much have one of my whole arms tattooed and like by the time this episode comes out, I'll be engaged. And so, you know, I've, I've chose my life partner. Uh, before my brain's fully developed. That's kind of crazy to think that we make, literally, you get a quarter of the way through your life before you are even capable of making decisions on your own. Uh, This shows to me, though, that it's a very important aspect of human life is that we are connecting with other people in some way. So in the context of what Jenny was talking about in the episode, it was that in order for us to regulate our emotions, we literally are dependent on other people. When we're young and we're children and we're growing up, our parents are there to co-regulate for us and with us. And then as we get older, our peers are there to help co-regulate for us. And so we literally need to lean on each other to handle and deal with our emotions as we get older. The second point is also from Jenny. In life, we are all given a toolbox and it's important to take inventory of yours and the toolbox of the close relationships that you have. And so this was also in line with attachment style. And she was saying that based off of the circumstances that you're born, you know the parents that you have, and also the uh, livelihood that you're born into, the social class of your family, it is a big determinant of the tools that you're gonna have access to. So for example, somebody might be born with a very angry father who takes their rage out uh, on them. And it's very easy for, that individual to slip into those same sort of angry behavior patterns as they get older, and when they communicate with other people and their own children. And so sometimes it can sort of become this cyclical thing that happens generation after generation. And so if you are trying to break the cycle, it's a good idea to become aware of the tools that you're working with. You know, it's not about the fact that you don't have a really pretty toolbox. It's what am I going to do with my ugly toolbox or my rusted out toolbox with very limited tools? Um, the, the example she, she gave was some people are born with a beautiful snap on toolbox uh, with lots of useful and clean tools and others are born with beater toolboxes and most of their tools are good for nothing. So uh, recognize what you have, recognize the tools that you want to use, the ones that you don't want to use, and also give other people grace when their tools aren't the best. Point number three comes from episode five with Katie Welburn. And she said to redefine what it means to quote unquote, eat clean. And this is a quote from her. I've never really loved this concept of eating clean. I'm not even really sure what that means. I imagine it means something different to everyone. And so in a world focused on image, lean body composition, eating clean, I think, and what she was saying is a silly catch-all term that we tend to use when we're talking about eating whole foods and restricting calories. What Katie is getting at here is that there is no one-size-fits-all approach to healthy nutrition habits, and what most people think eating clean means is actually an unsustainable path to long-term failure. What this means for us, and you know, I work very closely with people like this in the fitness industry, I don't have a nutrition client specifically, but I do help people with their food. It's keep your food simple, enjoy the food you eat, eat like an adult, exercise and move your body and sleep well. And like I said, we're so focused on body image and things like that, that sometimes we overlook these very simple things that can lead us to not just feeling better about how we look, but overall leading a good quality life and it's a lot simpler usually than we make it. This is from episode six, point number four. Life is made in small moments. This was from Dr. Eric Magram. He said, and I quote, when I defended my PhD, I thought it was going to be that moment at the top of the mountain. I very quickly realized that it was not. It was another day. Those small moments are the moments that we need to attune to because of the joy that is created in them. Social media in Hollywood have led us to believe that life is filled with what Dr. Magrum calls rocky moments. You know, that's simply not true. The the topic that I brought brought up on that show that made him say this quote was that some of my favorite moments in my entire life are when I'm alone in my garage, just deadlifting. It's a very simple strength training session that happens arbitrarily every couple of weeks. And, you know, it's such a simple time that not really much happens other than it's just me by myself working out, thinking about things. But th- that's an example of one of those simple moments that he's pointing to. There's no overarching thing that happens to you where you're the main character of, of your life. And it's a movie, right? It's very small things that happen over time. And we're going to look back and really enjoy those moments the most uh, once we've lived the majority of our life. Number five is also from Dr. Magram where he talks about how emotions are contagious. The term for this is emotional contagion. Having a series of unfortunate circumstances happen to you can lead to further unfortunate circumstances, essentially. But emotional contagion also means that you will take on the emotions of those around you. So if I'm in an environment where Billy is bummed out because his tire blew out, right? And he's pissed off at me and the world, (laughs) it's going to make me feel pissed off at myself and the world, right? Because he's feeling those emotions. It's negatively affecting the space and environment that we're all in. And we're all feeling those emotions. So what's important and what I took away from that is we need to cultivate an environment that we excel in. There's a common phrase in the productivity self-improvement space that says, you are the sum of the top five people that you spend your time with uh as cliche and corny as that may be it's true right the if you name the top five people in your life you take a lot of qualities from them and the negative and positive to that is you have control over the top five people in your life you know it's definitely not easy for example if you have a significant other or a parent that is in a toxic position for you in your life and dealing with that but it is important to know that you can address some of those people and things to make your life better overall. This is from episode nine with Jack Crow. He says, life is about creating stories. There is no secret recipe to success, no morning routine, no financial hack, no nothing. None of that stuff exists. The way that we create meaning in life is through creating stories. If you look back on your life, there are stories that you tell yourself about the things that you've done, the things you've accomplished, the things that have happened to you, the failures. And it all sums up to be where you are right now. And that is what makes where you are so meaningful. That's all the stuff that's happened to you, the things that you've experienced. <clears throat> Taking family trips, doing something out of the ordinary, pursuing athletic goals, trying to build a business. It's not the outcomes that we are actually caring about. It is the things we remember on the path to those things. And again, that's another cheesy Thing, right? It's not about the destination. It's about the journey, right? But it's true. I would guess that anybody listening could probably look back on their life and remember the experiences more than the actual outcomes. A good example of this, I don't care about the finish lines of all the ultra marathons that I've run. A specific example of this, one of the stories that I remember during my 50 miler when I was 19 was I was like 35 or 36 miles into this run and I'm coming up over this over pass, like, uh, it it goes high up on the mountain, it's a single lane track. And there was this guy that I sort of passed along my way. And he was hiking really slowly up the mountain. And he had black hair, short black hair, he was a tall, skinny guy. I think he was wearing a blue Under Armour shirt that I might have made that up. But I think that that's true. In my memory, that's what he was wearing. And I was like, you got this man, good job, you know, as you do as you pass. And he said, man, you don't even know what's coming up. And I, I kind of looked back at him. And I was like, what? He was like, this is my third year running this race. And this is the spot in the race that always kills me. And I was like, nah, man, don't worry about it. Like, you're going to be fine. There's only 15 or so miles left. And he was like, adamant. No, dude, you don't understand. This is where like, I hallucinate. It gets horrible. And I just remember that as like one of the, I didn't have nearly the same experience as that guy. You know, that was a tough race, but it wasn't as bad as he was making it out to seem. But I, I looked back on that as such like a fond, funny memory of this guy that I was trying to be positive for him. And he just kept saying like, no, dude, you have no idea. This is horrible. Get me out of here. This is not good. I want to be done. And uh, another example would be during my hundred miler. I remember so many things from that because it was recent 2022, but you know, falling asleep for like three miles and not really remembering any of it and just like sleep running. That's a good example. Taking a trail nap while my partner who I was running with was relieving himself. You know, that's another thing that I remember, but it just goes to show that it's the stories that we remember and not the actual outcomes of those things. Point number seven is from episode 10 with Dr. Jeff Dyke. He said, sleep as much as you can get away with or something along those lines. We live in a culture where people say it's important to sleep less and work more. And falling into this trap can be detrimental to your health. Something that he said that I have not forgotten and I've shared with all my friends who work the night shift is that working the night shift is now considered a carcinogen. So it increases your likelihood of getting cancer, which is absolutely insane to uh, think about that. Most people need seven to nine hours of sleep. You know, it's going to be a lot different depending on the person. And this can be extremely difficult depending on what you do for your career. You know, what whatever your lifestyle is, we don't live in a world where it's super easy to get that much sleep. So just sleep as much as your lifestyle can allow. This is something that I've tried to do in my life, you know, prioritizing not doing something in order to get a little bit more sleep. We're all just trying our best out here. So, you know, take that and do with it what you can. Number eight is from episode 11 with Ethan Schindler. He said, you can withstand anything if you are in line with your purpose. His point here was life is going to be painful in some way. Those that are successful aren't more capable or grittier necessarily. They've just found the pain that they are willing to withstand. That's very in line with Mark Manson. Um, He's an author, productivity guy teaches you how to live live a better life. Uh, But one of his points is you will only be good at the things that you're willing to suffer through. Meaning life sucks in a lot of ways for a lot of us, but there are things that you like sucking at. For example, I like talking into this microphone and uploading videos of me speaking. That might sound a little egotistical, but I like talking to people and getting to learn stuff. And it is hard work, but I enjoy doing it. And it's something that I'm willing to suffer through. I'm willing to suffer through a a weightlifting textbook because I'm interested about weightlifting and strength training. I'm willing to suffer through CrossFit workouts because it makes me feel good. Right. So I'm willing to suffer through those things. They're still hard, but that is the thing that uh, I can and will do. That's a little bit of a twist on what Ethan was saying, but um, what's hard for me is not hard for someone else and vice versa. From episode number 12 with Amy Wren, she said, spirituality is a you thing. So this was an episode we talked about spiritual, not religious community. It was a super awesome conversation. Uh, But some people naturally fall into a spiritual experience and practices, while others, myself included, uh, it's really, really hard work. And she also opened up a little bit about that. It's hard work for her as well. We have a similar story. Uh, We were put on a spiritual path from a self-development path. But point being from what she said was, don't feel bad if you've never had a spontaneous, deep spiritual connection. Like if God has never come crashing through your window and spoken to you directly, or you've had a cup of coffee with him on your front porch, it's okay. Uh, Culturally, we aren't trained to be spiritual, to be dialed into that world and realm. And so for some of us, especially those of us that want to seek out that side of things, we sort of have to go looking for it. And to be honest with you, just experiencing a little bit of that world and realm is, a, I think, a privilege that many people in our world today don't have the opportunity to. So uh, if you can just get a little better at dialing your soul or spirit or mind into that world, I think you're doing an awesome job. Episode number 10, or sorry, point point number 10, from episode 14 with Dr. Tracy Valancourt. This one was about bullying. She talked about how the advantage to bullying, which is kind of a weird thing to say, is that you end up getting more resources. So research suggests that through bullying, you obtain greater dating opportunities, earlier sexual debut, and you accrue more resources by treating people poorly, which is kind of a weird thing to say. She also pointed out that there's a very fine line between those things. If you continue to bully, you continue to build enemies and eventually you'll lose all social support and the resources that you've gained. I think that was very fascinating. Bullying is something that is very interesting to me and I really enjoyed the uh, the conversation that I had with Tracy and if you haven't checked out that episode you definitely should. She also said and this is point 11 that people who are victims of bullying become bullies over time. When we talked, she didn't have the specific statistics on that. But I I came away with that pretty interested. And I think the example that I used in that episode was think of a fraternity. A lot of people who join fraternities go through that horrible semester where they have to sort of do everything for all of the brothers in the fraternity, whatever they say, right, you have to do wild stuff. But it's all because after that one semester, you take the however many other semesters that you're in the fraternity in college to do the same thing to other people. So it's almost like this happened to me, I'm going to make sure this happens to other people and I get to experience the other side of this. Number 12, which is the last point that I'll bring up from Tracy is the idea of being open-minded to the fact that your kids have the capacity to bully and the way that you prevent it for the most part, you know, some things happen is to provide them with high structure and high support. It's very important to be open-minded that your child can actually be a bully. Anybody can be a bully, right? We're gaining resources and there's some advantages to it. They're human. Everybody is susceptible to that kind of behavior, but what high structure, high support means, and the way that she worded it was very simply be the house that your kids' friends want to come to. You need to have an expectation and a standard for behavior. But you need to be supportive and also love them and hear them out and treat them like a human being. I think the biggest takeaway and a very simple way to put this is understand that your kids are also people in this world. The way that you thought about your dad and mom when you were growing up is probably how your kids think about you or you're just like some guy, right? That guy or gal that, you know, is in charge and you have to sort of listen to, but they're kind of annoying most of the time and just in your way. So just understand that that's probably the dynamic that exists. Point number 13 is from episode 16 with Bill Strang. He said, in essence, to aim high, because you'll likely miss. And the context that we were talking about, and I'll quote him directly here is if you made $30 million last year, you have to shoot for 40 million. This year, to hope you make 35. What I took away from this is that none of us are as good as we think we are. I also think that one of the biggest mistakes that people make is they aim too low. Don't try to open a little shop or operate operate a small business or achieve a certain wage so that you can live, right? I think it's important to aim high because generally speaking, you will undershoot that and you'll end up still being in a great, position. Number 14 is make sure what you bring sorry, make sure what that what you do brings value to the people you work for. This is also from Bill. I'm going to quote him again here just cuz he said it very well. You want to make sure what you do brings value to the people you work with, the people you work for. It's important to you to one, support the mission they have, and two, It's important to you that they do it safely. Everything I did supported some kind of dangerous environment using the equipment that we supplied. And we wanted to make sure everything we did each time was focused on that. Bill literally had lives at stake in his line of work. And he took responsibility for the people that were wearing his equipment. So he made military equipment, right? Essentially, tactical gear. It's not about you. It's about providing something and being someone that others can rely on. And the example that I used in that episode was if people come to me to lose 50 pounds and they've been training with me for a year and they haven't lost any weight, that's my fault, right? You owe it to the people that you are working for, that you have relationships with to be your best, to show up as your best, because that's what's going to help them the most. And if you're not helping the people around you, there's an issue there. Last point from Bill, and this is 15 for this episode. Don't let your values slide and lead by example. If you are a leader, people are watching you. And whether you or they know it or not, they will follow your lead. Do the job how you want and expect it to be done. Uphold your core values that you set for yourself and for the company. If someone isn't doing their job right, it's your job to fix it. And at the end of the day, it all comes back on you. I I'll use this example. I can't remember the number specifically, but a guy called him and was like, I think it was 500 gallons of came do you remember what it was? 500 gallons of 500 gallons of antifreeze, the story he told. And somebody called him and was like, "Hey man, do you have 500 gallons of antifreeze?" And he said yes to the guy. And I don't think he had 500 h- gallons of antifreeze right on right on hand. So he went to his local I guess like hardware store They and he went in and was like, Hey, do you have 500 gallons of antifreeze? And the guy was like, hold on. We just got a shipment in. Let me check. And he checks. He's like, yeah, we got 500 gallons of antifreeze. How much do you need? And he said, I need 500 gallons. He said, the guy's jaw dropped. was like, are you serious? And he said, yes. So they bought the 500 gallons of antifreeze. And through some series of crazy events, they ended up having to drive this 500 gallons of antifreeze to this air force base because the people that needed it, needed it like right now. And so that was a good example of like, he just went and figured it out and he knew that those people were counting on him. And the job was to get the job done. And he was knew that he was setting an example for people by coming through in that moment. So uh, just goes to show, do what you say you're going to do. Lead by example. People are always watching, especially if you're in a leadership position or own a business. Number 16 from Dr. Lindsay Harville Bowman. We had a two-part episode. She did one with us on persuasion and cults, and then one with us on death, anxiety, suicidality, uh, coping with death, things like that. Very great episodes. You should listen to them. Uh, The first one is that persuasion is a tool. It is up to us how we use it. Now, this is sort of a throwback to Dr. Jenny Rozier's. This is a common thing that I've actually talked with a lot of people about. But good ethics is just a choice that you make a lot of things in life are neutral. They're just tools. And it is up to us, whether it's through our circumstance or own actual decision to decide what we do with those tools. So for example, um, the money that you spend persuasion, right. Is a good example. You can use it for good or bad, how you give and show love attachment. You can use that for good or bad. You can take advantage of the other person's attachment style. Right. Um, spending money in specific places, right? There's a tons of things, but it's it's important to know that we have a lot more control of things than we think. And just start thinking of any sort of worldly thing as neutral. It's not good. It's not bad. You decide if it's going to be good for you or if it's going to be bad for you. Number 17, also from Dr. Lindsay Harville Bowman, Cults can teach us how easily human beings can be manipulated. It can happen to anyone, anywhere, anytime. And this was something that she really wanted to drive home with me was that there's no generalized way to say that this person or that person is more susceptible to join a cult. Generally, the people who join cults, there's a whole process to it. It's a multi-year thing usually, but they're at a very vulnerable time in their life often because of circumstances that were out of their control and so an example of that is say everybody that you know and love is tragically lost in a fire which is a horrible thing to imagine but you're going to be feeling very alone you're going to be feeling like you have no one in the world and what's the point of all this right and so if the right community and people come in at the right time and you get involved with them and then they're now the people that you lean and rely on and oops i accidentally joined a cult stuff like that always doesn't always happen (laughs) it happens sometimes. But it's not just, I don't want anybody to worry about, man, one day I'm going to join a cult. I'm sure nobody worries about that. But just recognize that you have the capacity to be manipulated by media, by the person down the road who is trying to convince you to do whatever or vote for whoever, um, you know, literally do anything, right? We have the capacity under the right circumstances to be manipulated by certain people to do certain things. It's a good idea to be mindful of that. My grandpa always says, keep your wits about you. That's a good piece of advice. Number 18 is also from Dr. Lindsay Harville Bowman, but this one is on death anxiety. Care management tells us that coping with death comes down to three factors. Cultural worldview, self-esteem, and close relationships. Cultural worldview is pretty much what in essence makes you you what your beliefs are, you know, where you're born influenced that it influences that from like a very small community, but also, you know, country, time of in the grand scheme of things, that all influences your cultural worldview. Your parents, though things and values that they taught you is is very much involved with that as well. Your self-esteem is your perception of if you are meeting that cultural worldview. So for example, If I value being a kind person that does random acts of kindness and, you know, I just like flick people off randomly and just like spit on people's shoes at the grocery store, I am not living up to my cultural worldview. So my self-esteem is going to be lower, right? But if I'm generously giving $20 bill to the homeless guy on the side of the street, I probably feel pretty good about myself. Okay. And close relationships are just what you think they are. They're trusting relationships that you can confide in and share things with. Right. So, in order for us to feel good about the fact that we're going to die, we need all three of those things to be in a good position. I need to have a clear understanding of what it is that I value and believe. I need to be living up to that standard and I need to have close relationships. I have thought about this so much since. Her and I had that conversation because to me, all it takes, you know, I, I truly believe that any fear anybody ever has comes down to the fact that we're all going to die. You know, it's like, I'm afraid of heights is an easy example. Cause it's like imminent death is approaching me. <laughs> but, uh, let me think of another example, fear of fear of losing your business, going bankrupt. Okay if you have fear of that, it's because you're insecure in the fact that you aren't going to be successful by whatever values that you've put place in yourself, whatever standard you've given yourself. And then it sort of funnels down to the fact that like, if I just keep going on and on like this, I'll never amount to anything. And then I'm going to die. You know, like that, that's the order of thinking there. I'm going to die never having amounted to anything, right? So this fear of death is the underlying, it's the base of the fear pyramid, right? And so One of the ways to cope with that the best is as literally as simple as know what you think is important, live up to what you think is important, and have some people to share it with. Okay. To use the kind example, if I want to be a kind person my whole life and I want not necessarily people to remember me because it's not about other people, it's about how I feel myself. Right. But I want to know that I'm a kind person. Right. I'll do things like, give the homeless guy a couple bucks and not tell anybody about it. And I'll smile anytime I see somebody, even if I'm feeling bad, because I want them to have a positive interaction. And it's me, I'm working hard to to help people as much as I can, whenever I have the opportunity, right? I'm going to be living up to those standards, that cultural worldview. My self esteem is going to be pretty high. I'm going to feel confident in myself. And then I can go home to my significant other and tell them about all the fun, cool things that I felt like I did. And I have somebody to share that experience with. And then I go to bed that night, you know, I am going to die, but I'm doing a pretty damn good job. Uh, And I think that that's pretty cool that there's more to life, right? But simply put, it can really be boiled down to that. Know what you value, do the things that you value and have somebody to share with. My tea is cold. Very cold. Um, Final point, and this isn't anything that I learned from anybody in particular. Something that I've started doing since I've started this podcast is just spend more time recording some of the things that I'm thinking about. And whether it's actually learning something directly from an individual or the thing that I learned from them sort of jogs this idea in my head. My goal recently has been to make sure that I record some of these things that I'm thinking because I do think some of them are pretty good ideas. It's It ranges from quick, clever things that I think are, that that rhyme and I think are super poetic that I don't think I'll ever share with anybody or it's sometimes pretty thought out ideas as far as living a better life, being a good person goes. And so to close, I wanna leave you with this. The last point isn't anything... Like I said, that I was taught directly from an individual on the show, but it's a realization I've recently come to in my own reflection, and I'd like to share it here. There is an idea out there in the cosmos put out by a handful of high achievers that claims it's easy to be successful nowadays because nobody is working hard. I've heard Dana White say this. I've heard David Goggins say this. Something along the lines of it's Easy to be successful because everybody is so soft now. You know, something along those lines. I don't think that's true. I don't think it's that nobody wants to work hard. I think that number one, people don't want to become an expert. And two, people don't see the value in becoming an expert. There are three things that you need to become an expert in your field the what, the how, and the why if you understand those three things you're going to be an expert an easy example of this is i'm a crossfit and fitness coach the what is the fitness you know the improving fitness the how is the training in the methodology and the why is the system behind how all of the work drives the results so like the exercise science right the what and how are easy you can train yourself to proficiency in those areas in a few months to a short couple of years. The why is where mastery lies, and it is a moving target that can take decades to close in on. The issue is in avoiding mastery as a pursuit in hopes to achieve another end goal. And for most people, it's generally money or freedom or both for the sake of efficiency. Understand that becoming an expert is not efficient work. There is no easy way around it. It takes time, dedication, focus, effort, trial, error, heartbreak, and hardship. And the final product is nothing more than the satisfaction of knowing what you know, which ironically is the realization that you don't know much of anything at all. It's not wrong if you don't want to be an expert in your field, but it seems like chasing mastery is one of the only ways to fill a void that cannot be filled by other pursuits becoming an expert doesn't make you fulfilled it is in the path to mastery that teaches you things about goodness and life and love that fills you that's why you should chase mastery find a craft become an expert do it for you Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode of Good People. If you are listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please give the show a rating. It really does help us out a ton, and we would be grateful for you if you left one. If you really enjoyed today's episode, please share it with somebody that you love, perhaps your grandma. We'll see you next time.